Now, for our stewardship classes, we did tell or make the commitment we would be talking four weeks in a row on caring. If you look over on the side wall, you will see the big sign there, reaching our world through giving, through working, through praising, through preaching, teaching, praying, and caring. Therefore, the Lord of the harvest, pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers, Luke 10, verse 2. I have a different passage of Scripture to start with, but one that I feel that is very applicable to this particular situation. If you take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 22, and I want to, uh, to read to you a portion of Deuteronomy 22. The whole chapter, Deuteronomy 22, deals with the law of separation. The law of separation as it relates to relationships. So in honor of the word of the Lord, I'd like to have you to stand, if you would. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1. And I think as we go down through this, you will see clearly uh, why the law of separation uh, deals as it does with relationships. Thou shalt not see thy brother's ox or his sheep go astray and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt in any case bring them again unto thy brother. And if thy brother be not nigh unto thee, or if thou know him not, then thou shalt bring it unto thine own house. And it shall be with thee until thy brother seek after it, and thou shalt restore it to him again. Basically, what the Scripture is saying is that if uh, your brother, if his uh, stock becomes lost uh, because of his love for his animals and because they are rightly his, that, that uh, you should try your dead-level best to see that they're placed back with him. This is dealing with the law of separation as it relates to relationships. In verse 3, In like manner shalt thou do uh, with his ass, and so shalt thou do with his raiment, and with all lost things of thy brothers, which he hath lost, and thou hast found, thou shalt do likewise, thou mayest not hide thyself. Verse 4, uh, thou shalt not see thy brother's ass or his ox fall down by the way and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help him to lift them up again. So if there is a problem with uh, uh, one of your neighbor's uh, animals and he happens to fall down, uh, see if you can help him get up. Why? Because your neighbor cares about those. And so we're dealing tonight with caring, and basically this is an introduction to some uh, a few lessons that we will be getting into some of the basic mechanics. But tonight we're talking only about caring from an introductory standpoint. Verse 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination to the Lord thy God. In other words, women should wear women's clothing, clothing that makes them feminine, clothing that separates the sexes, Men should wear clothing that tends toward masculinity 
so that there's a strong separation of sexes because in order to have proper relationships between a man and a woman, there has to be a separation of the way they dress. All right. Now in verse 6, If a bird's nest chance be before thee in the way in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting on upon the young and upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt take but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go, and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. And if you notice this promise that's given to you that if you will obey these two scriptures the same promise is given also to children who obey their parents. Now, you may be seated, and we're going to stop uh, <clears throat> here, and, and we're going to explain these because these are the two scriptures we're going to talk about. Basically, uh, Moses, in writing the book of Deuteronomy, God inspired him to say that if you go by a bird's nest, and, of course, uh, realizing that that uh, there, the dispensation has changed several times and naturally to eat eggs and eat the fowls of the air is uh, not prohibited this time. In fact, it's endorsed of God. Then uh, a lot of people would uh, seek to get a good meal from a bird's nest. So they get eggs and then they'd take the, the young birds. But uh, what... Moses is saying, if you find uh, a dam, a mother bird that's so devoted that she will not fly off the nest, but she'll stay there even at the, at the expense of losing her own life. Now, you're not to take that mother bird and eat her. Now, you can take the young and you can take the nest. You can separate them. But on the other hand, because that she's so devoted, we want to preserve that type uh, and that quality in the planet earth can you believe that god uh, was so mindful of that quality that he said we'll even preserve it in the birds now if you go up to a, a bird's nest normally what will happen the the mother bird will flutter away and disguise herself as being crippled and uh, and and allow you to chase her for a little while and then she'll fly away, and, and you realize that, uh, you know, you have fallen right into to her particular game. I remember as a child how this happened to me several times. We had a lot of turtle doves that nested in the pines that were in our yard. And you'd go underneath the limb, and one of them would fall down on the ground, and you think, oh, I can catch that bird. And you go, and, and she stays just in front of you to lure you away from her young ones. But Moses is saying there are certain situations in which you will find a caring dam or mother that cares so much that she will sit there and hide those little ones even at the expense of losing her own life. Now, when you find that quality in a mother bird, you cannot destroy her. You must put her back on the nest and give her opportunity even if you do take her young and the eggs, which was not prohibited, but give her opportunity to reproduce herself again because this is a very rare quality indeed. 
Now, we're talking about caring. Now, I know that I've read from the book of uh, uh, Deuteronomy, the law of separation as it deals with relationships. And I think you can understand the relationship here. And that is that, uh, that if you have uh, a mother bird that's so devoted that she simply will lose her own life or put her life in jeopardy to save her little ones, then he says don't destroy her because it's such a rare quality. She cares. The definition for caring is manifesting concern also. It's watchful keeping to protect, to attend to, or to provide for. And this is basically what we are addressing tonight. Now, I have uh, referred to the chart on the wall, and we talked to you about caring some time ago. But I believe if there ever was a generation that needs to care, it's our particular generation because there are so many people that are facing monumental hurdles, and they cannot make it without assistance. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to the, the third epistle of John. If you have a Schofield reference Bible like mine, it's found on page 1327. <clears throat> I thank the Lord for His Word. Most of you uh, use the Thompson Chain Bibles. I can always tell because uh, I can be reading along and I don't turn, and all of you seem to turn at the same time. I can hear the rustling of the leaves of your Bible or the pages. Now, 3 John uh, 4, uh, it only has one chapter, so this would be the fourth verse. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I think this is something that uh, all of God's children uh, should take in consideration, that that our real joy is is that... uh, All of God's children walk in truth. It's a sad thing when somebody departs from the truth. A sad thing. It's it's, it's in many cases an embarrassing thing. But uh, he goes on to say in in verse 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So he's basically talking about two categories of people, to brethren and to strangers. And you know the purpose of the church is to get men saved and keep men saved. And there has to be a balance in the church. You can become so overbalanced that that uh, you want to conduct Operation uh, Neighborhood Storms and go out into the neighborhoods and win people. But we have another department in our church that's equally responsible, and that is a department called New Convert Care, where people who come in are cared for, Prayer partners, I say prayer partners, care partners are assigned. I might just say this concerning our growth partner plan that we recently initiated through our prayer and missions ministry. This is has caught on well. A lot of people are praying. And, of course, you can't pray for someone every day without caring. Now, we made reference to the chart on the wall, and this has to do basically with our organization. There's a chart on this side, and in the the back you will see a chart in which we tally all of our results and, of course, goals are set. Our whole organization basically should be around caring. Uh, For an example, uh, our outreach uh, program, Brother Uselman stood here and, and represented it so well, 
Uh, we have uh, a breakdown in this. We have a jail ministry. Brother uh, Dave Wall is uh, in charge of this and takes people with him. He's there on a weekly basis, prison ministry. We also have an extension work ministry. Brother Derber works in Stoughton in Oregon. And then Brother Gary works up in Arlington and and uh, Poinette. Uh, I think this was announced this evening, along with uh, Brother Repka and the other people in that area. We have... Uh, in the past, visit the rest homes. We do visit the rest homes now, but uh, I don't think we have a ministry called rest home ministry. Hospital ministries. Uh, then, of course, home Bible studies, that was mentioned. And then a very important part of outreach is the CCC. Uh, uh, that means constant contact consciousness that every opportunity that you find, you witness to that individual. Now, all of this is based upon caring. And if you don't care, it doesn't make any difference how much you know about the mechanics. It simply will not work for you. You've got to care. And you've got to love. Uh, visitor follow-up. Uh, we are having some struggles in the visitor follow-up uh, area. Brother and Sister Brown have taken this over. They're doing such a great job at this. They're very conscientious, caring people. Brother and Sister Brown are the people that like to pretty much uh, stay on the low-profile side, but they are real doers. They do very little talking, but they certainly do a lot of door-knocking and, and visiting, and they're looking for people to help them. And every person that uh, would pray at our altar or visit our church, we would hope that, that, uh, that they would receive a visit. Now, if you're a visitor here, you may say, I don't want to visit. Uh, if you don't want to visit, certainly we don't want to aggravate you. Uh, we don't want to put you on the spot. We don't want to embarrass you. But quite often people uh, designate on their visitor's cards that uh, we would like for somebody to come and see us. Basically, you know, you can live in a great metropolis where people are on every corner and still be lonely and still need somebody to love you and care for you. Child evangelism. Uh, Brother Reagan's in charge of this. Brother Wittenbach, who's right in front of Brother Reagan, is in charge of our Sunday school. We also have the bus ministry, Brother and Sister Anderson. They're down on the front uh, here. And then, of course, Brother and Sister Sandin. They're in the classroom with the children in our children's church tonight. Um, all of this is based upon caring. You must care. Uh, and sometimes you can start a new program, and what happens is uh, through the promotion and through the hype that some people kind of get involved in, they automatically will join up with the program. After a while, though, it's all gone, and the emotions have dissipated, and now you're operating strictly out of discipline or a burden you have for that ministry. And it's real easy then to get discouraged because your flesh says, I don't want to do this, and your flesh overrides the burden that you have simply because that you do not have the proper caring attitude that you need for people. We need right now, desperately need, Sunday school bus workers. We need drivers. The state has imposed new regulations on us. We must have a commercial license now in order to drive the bus. Brother and Sister Anderson, uh, you know, have been doing everything uh, that they possibly can short of just stopping people out on the highway out there. And the 
asking them to come and work on the bus ministry. If we've ever needed people to work on the bus ministry, we need it now. But let me inform you before you inquire, you must be a caring person because Saturday after Saturday after Saturday and then, of course, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, uh, uh, you have to be here and you have to be dedicated to it. Now, it's either too cold or too hot for the bus ministry. When it's cold, it's extremely cold. There's nothing in the world that's colder than a bus that hasn't been properly warmed up for about three hours on a Sunday morning. Uh, and it seems like by the time that the bus gets warm, you're already back. And then it seems like by the time the weather changes, uh, where it's not extremely cold, then it's hot. And there's nothing on this planet Earth that's worse than, than a, a bus uh, full of kids on a, on a hot Sunday day. But that's the name of the game. And you have to care. I mean, you genuinely have to care. What would prompt an individual to bring a young child in the world, a planned program that God has where children are brought into the world? What would enthuse a mother to go through all the pain? What would enthuse a mother to go in through all the labor? What would enthuse a mother after she's gone through all of this to have her child to say, I think we'd like to have another child? It's only because that God has put within her that caring instinct. And the church should have that caring instinct also. Where we are willing to sit on the nest until the eggs hatch and sit there and not move. At, even at the expense of giving our own life, surrendering our own uh, pulsation to, to protect those that God has given to us and those that God wants to save. We have the praying ministry and the missions ministry. Uh, we've talked about growth partners. Growth partners is the program that you need to get involved in because there's somebody that you need as a partner that will pray with you, that needs you and needs your care. And, and you need their care. You need, to, you need to confer with each other and witness to each other and prompt each other and pick each other up. Just this week, Brother Manley, being my prayer partner, uh, called me on the phone. I've been involved in some district work. He called me on the phone and said, this is your prayer partner. I just wanted to touch base to let you know I'm praying for you and I care. And that meant a lot to me. It really did mean a lot to me. I slipped into the church this morning and I was praying and I really got a hold of the Lord. I didn't know if Brother Manley was here or not. And I prayed a little bit longer than what I normally would before I looked for him. And I looked up and I saw him going out the door. And there was just something about him going out the door. I did not pray with him this morning. And there was just something there that, that was missing. I thought, now I am really missing a blessing this morning. Of course, he had to, I'm sure, to go on to work. And, and uh, this was more my fault than his because I arrived a little bit late. But uh, I missed that. I really missed that. Uh, think of our Christian school and the workers who come in. We have workers who come in day after day after day after day after day after day devoted to the cause of your own children. You send your children here. Many of you support the Christian church school with regular pledges equivalent to tuition. We do not charge tuition here at Calvary Gospel Church, but your children come and you support it and these uh, teachers come in here. And they work, 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 work. 
most all of them, in fact, I think I could say all of them, have the capabilities of finding employment some other place, making a lot more money. But they have decided that they will sacrifice because they care. I say because they care. They care enough for the church. They care enough for your children. They care enough for the cause of the Lord. Of course, the New Convert Care Department is designed specifically for the instruction of uh, new people in the kingdom of God. In our stewardship classes, we teach almost everything. That from that, by that I mean of the Bible. We cover a variety of subjects, but it's designed to teach the the new believer to, to develop a relationship with God and with his fellow man and mature all the way from a babe in Christ to a father in Christ where he goes out, teaches someone else uh, a Bible study and wins that person to the Lord. Other ministries, the youth ministry, the music ministry, the ladies auxiliary ministry, public relations ministry, our men's ministry, all of these without exception. And I don't know if I've left one out or not. I've just I, I've talked enough about the, the departments. This is why I stopped talking about each one individually. But they're all designed with one thing in mind, and that is that we care about people. It has to be that way. Now, life is like a tree. I'll not take the time to have you to turn to all of these scriptures, but Deuteronomy 20:19, Psalm 1, Psalm 52, 8, Psalm 92, verse 12 and 13, Psalm 104, verse 15 and 16, Proverbs 11, 28 through 30, Proverbs 12, 3, and Proverbs 12, 12, Isaiah 61, 3, and Jeremiah 17, 8 compares your individual life to that of a tree. Now, a tree basically is made up of a branches, a trunk, and roots. The roots are subsurface. They go underneath the ground. And, uh, of course, the trunk is the skeleton or the part that holds it together. And, of course, the branches are where the action takes place. In other words, leaves come forth, uh, blossoms are found, and fruit is grown. Now, for the most part, we could say that your life being like a tree also compares like this that the root system is where your attitude is developed or where it comes into focus. The trunk of the tree is like character. Character is the skeleton of the individual. And, of course, the branches, this is where the the action takes place or the results uh, are found. So I think if we take a look at this in the light of the character and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is pretty easy for us to understand. 1 Corinthians 13 is considered to be the love chapter of the Bible. I think it would be impossible for us to teach a lesson on caring without going to that. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Basically, you know, there. Are, when, when we talk about attitudes, we talk about motives a lot. Uh, th- there are different motives that people have for doing different things. For an example, if you look back on the wall, you see the first word is giving. 
it is possible to be a giving person of to a degree and and yet not care that is care about individuals there are people that that are in our society that would give as a result of getting tax credits and then of course this builds an excellent reputation for them they build a great rapport with the community which consequently helps their business but uh, paul is saying that that whatever we do we must understand and we can do a lot of things without love and without really caring for the individual. You can't separate love from caring. He says, so if, if I could pray that mountains be removed and I'm not a caring person, I'm not a loving individual. He said, what profit does that do? He said, it doesn't do any good at all. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And of course, this is the character. This is a character trait of God. And when we speak of character, we're basically talking about the trunk of the tree. The attitude that brought this about is an attitude of caring. Someone cared enough. Someone cared enough to develop a genuine agape love. And that is an unconditional love where you give and give and give and give. It said that character basically is what you are. And you have heard me say this before. If we want to see if this is the true character of Jesus, for the benefit of this tape and the hundreds of people that would hear this in the future in stewardship classes, let me remind you once again in verse 4, Jesus suffereth long, and Jesus is kind. Jesus envieth not. Jesus vaunteth not himself. Jesus was not puffed up. I'll change to the past tense. Jesus did not behave himself unseemly. He sought not his own. Jesus was not easily provoked. Jesus thought no evil. Jesus rejoiced not in iniquity, but he rejoiced in truth. Jesus bore all things. Jesus believed all things. Jesus hoped all things. Jesus never failed. Does that sound like Jesus to you? You see, that's what Jesus is. This is the reason why that John could say in his epistle that God is love. Praise God. God is love. God is love. And all of this was developed through a, basically through a caring attitude. The individual cared. Galatians 5 elaborates on uh, the spiritual gifts. Galatians 5.22. And I'd like you to turn there and we'll go through this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Now, those that relate to caring, I think we could underscore love and we could underscore long-suffering and certainly we could underscore uh, gentleness, perhaps goodness uh, also. But the three that I'd like to underscore love are love, long-suffering, and gentleness. Gentleness. Uh, I think it was uh, President Bush when he was 
actually running for president and campaigning, he said that we need a kinder, gentler United States of America. And I, I agree with that, but I also believe that for the most part we need a kinder, gentler Christian community. I think the body of Christ has not really come into that. For some reason we can't separate uh, uh, this in our own mind and categorize it. We, we kind of feel in order to be non-compromising on doctrine that we have to be dogmatic to the point that we're nasty. And th- there is absolutely no, no evidence in the Scripture that teaches us that you have to be that way in order to be firm in what you believe. Quite the contrary. Jesus Christ was very firm in what he believed. The apostles were. But there was never any room to be nasty. They always loved and they always cared. Now I'd like to turn your attention to Luke the 10th chapter. And this will be a chapter that we will deal with. A particular story that Jesus gave. In Luke 10 verse 25 there was a lawyer that came to Jesus and he began to question Jesus. The Bible says, and behold, verse 25 of Luke 10, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, now, he tempted him. In other words, he was doing this to try to trick him up. He thought, now, I'm going to go to Jesus, and I'm going to pose a question that he's not going to be able to answer. I'm going to pin him in a corner, and uh, he's going to have to he's going to have to come out with, a, with a, an answer that's totally inconsistent to the rest of his teaching. Master... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now verse 28, And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast answered right. Do this, and thou shalt live. So basically what he's saying is that if you want to be saved, and the man answered correctly, that you have to love God with everything that you have, and then you must love your neighbor as yourself. Now, uh, the, the Bible teaches us that no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, and uh, he builds it up. And that is that the, the, the drive for self-preservation is the strongest drive in the human being to preserve himself. He will do anything to preserve himself. That's considered by most uh, psychologists to be the, the strongest drive within an individual. Now, Jesus said, though, that no greater love than has, has any man that, a, that w- when a man would lay down his life for his brother. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I must stand here to say this and uh, on the... Uh, this uh, Middle East crisis, and I've, I've given a lot of thought to it, and there have been so many men that have been sent over there to give their life. Do you know, to, to give your life for a cause that you will never live to see, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of loyalty to, to a nation. And, you know, loyalty can never be proven except in adversity. A husband cannot prove his loyalty to his wife unless... There is reason, some situation that would come up that would cause this man somehow uh, and tempt this man. And, and he proves loyalty when he, when he, he uh, somehow uh, 
avoids the temptation and, and, and doesn't fall into the trap of sin. It is also true of a, of a wife. Uh, loyalty to her husband can, can never be proven on the everyday routine of life. Some situation must confront that relationship that would uh, tend to destroy it and would destroy it uh, if they gave in to that temptation. But, but loyalty is proven in adversity and only in adversity. Uh, so uh, for an individual to, to, to go and, and lay down his life for, for uh, a man like myself, I'm not able to fight for my country uh, even when I was turned 18 years of age because of a football injury. I was classified as 4L for the draft. I uh, did not have to go. I could not have gone if I'd have wanted to, uh, to, to volunteer. They just simply would not have taken me because of a, a medical situation. But to, to know that a man would be willing to go and lay down his life for the freedom that we experience, and yet uh, his lips are permanently sealed in death, and he'll never experience it here on this planet Earth, but he's willing to do it. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, my hat is off, uh, and I stand in salute to an individual uh, of, of that particular caliber. He cares enough for somebody that he will sacrifice himself. And we have men right here in this sanctuary who have gone to the battlefields to help preserve the freedom that we love and the freedom that we enjoy so much uh, here at Calvary Gospel Church tonight. How many of you men served in the armed forces? Raise your hand. We've got a good number. Look at the men. You see the men here. And Brother Gillum, raise your hand, Brother Gillum. Brother Gillum, for many years. All right, all of these men. And, and I, I, wanna, I want you to know I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, so very, very much. And, but, but Jesus said, now, uh, you know, if you were to want to, to look at this business of eternal life, there has to be such a care in you for God and His cause and your neighbor and His cause that, that you will love God with everything. In other words, you're willing to sacrifice everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you think of all the nice things that you do for yourself. Well, what happened was that, that this uh, lawyer, he heard the answer. But the Bible says in verse 29, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In other words, he's going to get a little bit on the sharp curt side, a little bit on the snotty side about the situation. See, he's going to be a little smart aleck here. He says, All right. Now, who is my neighbor? And uh, I guess he was going to, he was expecting Jesus to say, well, you look, you live at 1010 uh, North Main Street and the guy at uh, uh, next door to you, uh, 1008, and the guy on the other side, 1012, those are your neighbors. But that's not what he said. Jesus then gave a parable and listen to what he said. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now you remember what we read as far as the law of separation? We read that 
uh, in Deuteronomy 22 as it relates to relationship. If your neighbor's ox or if your neighbor's ass or any of his cattle or even his raiment, if he loses his coat, you don't just take his coat and put it in a closet and say, I hope he never asks about it. No, you leave it there until the till he shows up at home. Now, if he's at home, you go straight to him and give it to him. But uh, you got a different situation here now. Jesus is challenging uh, someone that has asked this question, and he challenges him in a totally different way. Now, here's a man. He didn't lose it by accident. It didn't stray out of the field. He didn't drop it off of the, his camel. Uh it, it didn't blow off the clothesline somewhere. Somebody stole it. He's not going to ever get it back. Now, you see this man then that, that is half dead, and he's stripped, and he has nothing. Now, what's going to be your attitude toward an individual like that? Verse 31, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Jesus is saying, It's always easy to just kind of cut your eye and see somebody in trouble and avoid that troubled individual. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. In other words, he saw him too, but he decided, well, I'll just believe I'll walk on the other side and just walk along here passively and look up at the clouds and see if I can make figures out of them and make out like I didn't see this man at all. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Isn't that great? I will repay thee. Now, I want you to take careful note now as Jesus begins to summarize this. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Now, here this man that got a little bit on the smart side and the curt side with Jesus, he said, he that showed mercy on him. In other words, Jesus just really shocked the man, captured the man's attention. So he answered properly, said the man that showed mercy on him, took out of his own pocket and helped him. Uh, he, 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 he took his own time and, and helped him. Uh, he not only did that, but he took him to somebody that when he ran out of time that would do it. And then obligated himself further and said, whatever the bill is, I'll send it. I'll take care of it. Now, this lawyer answered wisely. He said, he that showed mercy on him. But this is what Jesus said then. Jesus said unto him, go thou and do likewise. Go thou and do likewise. And uh, so the Scripture is telling us that, hey, this is not only true of this man, but this is also true of us, that, that we need to go and we need to do likewise. So there is a commandment given to us that 
that, that what we must do in order to inherit eternal life, we must be a caring individual. There is no such thing as being a non-caring individual that will make it to heaven. Now, I have taught to you in several lessons about symptoms of particular sicknesses that come our way. And, uh, you know, selfishness is a sickness. This is basically why people do not care, because they're selfish. Uh, caring means giving out. It's, it, it means uh, dispersing, emitting something from yourself, taking of your own goods, sacrificing. You notice the, the arms of the cross are reaching out to a world. I saw a plaque the other day over at the family bookstore, and it simply said, I ask the Lord how much He loved me. And he simply stretched forth his hands. In other words, I love you this much. And there was a cross. He saw the cross. As far as God could reach, he measured his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his everlasting Son, or his begotten Son, that you and I may have everlasting life. First John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of Christ, in that He laid down His life for us, so ought we to lay down our life for the brethren. So, selfishness would be the opposite of, uh, of, of caring. Uh, I'm going to call it a non-caring attitude because we're, we're simply using the word caring. But there are some symptoms that I've put together. I just spent a lot of time meditating on this today, and I begin to think of, uh, I think, some traps that I personally have fallen into to, to keep from helping people, to, to avoid helping people. Uh, symptoms always accompany a particular sickness or disease. Brother Rich Thomas called me twice today, uh, he went in to have his throat checked. He thinks that he has strep throat. His daughter, I think maybe, and his wife have strep throat. I'm not for sure that, that his wife has, but his daughter has. And he said that, uh, I don't know that I can come. Call me again. He said, uh, uh, you know, I have all the symptoms. And he began to tell me about what was wrong. And so when we have a spiritual sickness, there are symptoms that stack up as evidence pointing toward the deficiency that we have. I put together about 11 different symptoms. I'm sure that uh, with your own imagination and with the work uh, that you would put forth in searching the Scripture, you could find others uh, because there are many. Uh, we could stand here probably half the evening talking to you about this. The number one symptom that I put, and certainly I, I do not... Uh, uh, put these in, in, the, in the order showing uh, them con as they are concerning uh, the, the, the line of importance that they fall in. But uh, the one symptom, the number one symptom that I found is that uh, I have a tendency to always question my responsibility toward others 
when I develop this non-caring attitude. Uh, in other words, well, somewhere you have to draw the line. And so I, I began to question where my responsibility starts and where my responsibility ends. Now, I'm telling you about myself right now. I have a tendency to do this when uh, I develop this, uh, this particular sickness, when I become selfish. I've never known of a person that hasn't experienced some problems like this in his life, and you would be uh, most unfair to yourself if you uh, did not analyze it and, and look at it properly. You can't pray your way out of some of these traps until you have fully repented. And it's hard to repent over things that you are not aware of or you're not cognizant of. You, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to reveal to you the problem that you might have. But uh, I have a tendency to, to say in my own mind, now where do I draw the line? In other words, I can't help everybody on this planet Earth, and somewhere I have to draw a line and say, here's where I'll start and here's where I'll end. Now, I think that basically is a habit that I have, and that is a symptom of a non-caring spirit when that comes over me. Now, let's go on to the next one. All right. Uh, I become overprotective of my own time. In other words, uh, I, I look at it like this. Well, I'm, I'm in a rush, and I'm, I'm doing something of equal value or of equal importance. And uh, I must say that... Uh, uh, in, in many cases, I am. Uh, however, <clears throat> when we do the work of the Lord, uh, quite often you'll find that, that some things that you would consider to be extremely important are not urgent. Uh, in other words, uh, when somebody has a need uh, and, and it's there, it has to be met right then. Uh, and uh, it may not be as important in the overall plan of God as what uh, you are uh, engaged in. But there is such a thing as meeting the urgent and going ahead later and doing the other. But it's easy to justify and say, well, I just uh, uh, really don't have the time. And this parable pretty well outlined this. Here's a man that obviously didn't have enough time to stay with the man, but he, he at least stopped long enough and cared long enough and put him in the proper hands of somebody who did, and, and said, I'm going to come back and check on him. In other words, he, he didn't just wash his hands clean of everything. He had other responsibilities in life, but he would not forsake the man's need at all. He, he stayed right with him. Uh, I have been asked this by a lot of people. How do I set my schedule? And that's a difficult thing for me to say. And a lot of times though, people will justify a busy life just in order to keep from helping a lot of people. Now the third thing that I want to call your attention to, and that is being selfish with your money or your earthly commodities. There are some people that are just overly protective. They want to protect what is theirs. Now there's no better place in the Scripture to call your attention to than the Sermon on the Mount. In, in Matthew 5, Jesus said in verse 38, You have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, 
Go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, now remember what Jesus said about our neighbor? Love him as ourselves. But he's, this is what he said. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Because all of this is conclusive evidence. Now we're talking about symptoms or evidences of a spiritual sickness. All of this is conclusive evidence of one particular thing. Verse 45, that ye are the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Now I've got to tell you one thing, and I think this is not only true of me, but it's also true of many of you. I can come up with a thousand and one reasons why I should not obey Matthew 5. Because there's always some irresponsible person that wants to borrow something that will never return it. And I have bought tool after tool after tool that I never got to use. And some that were brought back and they were just totally worn out. Now you may say, that isn't right. I am a steward over this. But please keep in mind, you are only a steward. You're not the owner. The owner said, this is what you do with the commodities I have placed in your hands to oversee. Now, he said it. I didn't say it. This is not the gospel according to Pastor Grant. This is the gospel according to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it. But it's easy, see, to develop this symptom of just being selfish with your money and selfish with earthly commodities. I think that James talks about this in his epistle in James, the second chapter. And if you'll take your Bibles and turn there quickly, we'll just read this. The Bible says this is the test of good works. Now, we talked about the tree. We talked about the, the attitude. We talked about the character, and we talked about the results. And, of course, uh, we should be complete as that tree, having the right attitude, the right character that brings the right results. And we're talking in the area of giving or, or caring tonight. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Well, this is what James had to say about it. You see, but it's, it's real easy when you're selfish to just kind of ignore or you hear something, but you don't want to inquire too much because it may cost you. See, isn't that right? You don't want to ask too many questions. And most people that, most people I've found that ask too many questions, they know how to limit their questions in certain areas. And we don't want to be that way, see. We don't want to be that way. So being selfish with your money or with earthly commodities. In other words, 
I made this. God gave me this job. It belongs to me, and it belongs to my wife and my children, and my first obligation is to them and them alone. Well, your first obligation is, but remember, that's just your first obligation. Actually, your first obligation is to God. Isn't that right? Now, the fourth symptom is is that that a person becomes unwilling to obligate himself or to commit himself to any particular ministry. I I am amazed at how many Christians that I have personally talked to that, that say, well, I'm just at this, I just cannot at this time commit myself. Uh, and, and they go into a long line of, 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 of reasons. Now, when you become unwilling or unable, maybe I should say, when you're unable to commit yourself to any of the ministers of the church because you're busy, brother, you are too busy to be in the will of God. Period way it is now i know that people work on swing shifts and they have different hours of work but we're talking about to any ministry now you may not be able to fulfill the particular ministry that you want to at that time but you become willing to obligate yourself or commit yourself to a particular ministry that will fit your particular lifestyle but you have to be involved in caring and that's what ministry is all about. You have to be willing to. But unwilling to obligate or commit yourself to a ministry. Well, I just can't commit myself. <clears throat> I talked about bus ministry. I talked about Sunday school. I talked about home Bible studies. You know, I would like to see a good number of our young men and women commit themselves to the bus ministry. Let me tell you. There's a whole lot of people out there you can minister to on a daily basis. You get their children coming to church, you've got an open door where you can talk to as many people about Jesus as you want to. And in many cases, many more than you could ever do if you wanted to. Seriously. Seriously. But you have to care. And you have to care enough to do it week after week after week after week, even when your enthusiasm relative to the ministry ceases. You've got to do that. You just have to do that. Now let's look at the, the fifth thing. <clears throat> and this is one that's taken a little bit different vein of thought in this one, but this I find a lot of people are entrapped in, always feeling sorry for yourself to the point that life is unfair. In other words, I can't even meet my own needs, let alone somebody else's. i got too many problems of my own to try to help somebody solve theirs. Poor little old you. No wonder you have problems. Seriously. Everybody that gets, begins to feel that life is unfair, and I've got too many bills to help somebody else, and, and my car is too broken down to go pick up somebody for church, In my body, I've got too many aches and pains to go out in cold weather, do this, that, and the other. You know what you're doing? You're digging your own grave with self-pity. And you're going to have problems, monumental problems, running out your ears until the day you die or the the trumpet blows. I don't know how the trumpet would affect you that much. But nevertheless, that's the way it is. 
seriously. But I, I run into that all the time. People just say, well, uh, how can I do anything? I can't do anything because, you know, and, and you're always looking for somebody else that, that uh, I, I know of people in this congregation and other congregations that I've pastored and places I've gone and taught Christian stewardship, they say, you know, this brother over here, he's got a whole lot of money. If you really hit this a little bit harder, he'll probably help them. Can you believe that? I would never point my finger at somebody else and say, he's got more than I have. Go ask him. Because that's the secret, isn't it? To being blessed of God. Isn't that right? To give of yourself. I have my own problems. I can hardly help myself. Let someone else do it. Now, the sixth symptom, getting a little quiet out there. Would somebody say, oh, me or my or somebody cough real loud? All right, that's enough, okay? Thank you. (laughs) Praise God. All right, the sixth symptom, being too critical of others. That is, I have this again, but the, the, the thought that I'm getting into here I want to, to bring across is that you you become very presumptuous of, of the individual. Well, he doesn't spend his money wisely. Be, be critical. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not a good steward. Uh, maybe he's not a good steward. But you know, that, that is true. Some people are not. Most people are. We have. I'm sure that we have more people that are not than we have that are. I'm not for sure that I am the steward I ought to be. I know very few people that I think couldn't use some improvement. See? But uh, here's a question that's often asked. Well, if I help him, I wonder what he's going to do with that money. You know, or if I go help him, I wonder if he'll ever help me again. You, You hear a lot of this around Christmas time. We'll buy him a gift, but I wonder if he's going to get me one. In other words, everything seems to be conditional. Isn't that right? Seems to be conditional. I helped him, and would you believe that two months later he came out wearing a brand new suit, and I haven't had a new suit in months. Well, you may have been helping someone with an excellent attitude, and maybe God just can't get over your dirty, rotten one. See, you follow what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? See, we're talking about an attitude that builds character that ultimately brings results, and we're like a tree planted by the water, see. Acts 10th chapter, there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house. He gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. You know what the scripture said? He gave much alms to the people. When Peter was asked to go down and preach to this man who was not a Christian, he uh, was devout toward God to the to the uh, degree in which he knew God. Uh, there, was, there was an angel that spoke to Peter and also to Cornelius. He said, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. You see, here's the thing. Cornelius 
from the very depths of his heart, was a caring man. Now, almsgiving, you know, what is, is that? Well, it's just simply taking money and helping the needy. Just helping someone that, that has a need. And he was that type of person. And can you believe that every time you do that, God not only stacks the prayers up that you pray for the individual, but he also, it's like putting money in the bank in heaven. He looks out and says, now this person really cares. He really does care. Cornelius was that type of person. For that reason, Cornelius became the very first Gentile in the book of Acts to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He was a caring person. If you care enough for others, I care enough for you, Carnegie's. I will be with you. I will help you. <clears throat> now, let me go to another one, and here is one that I, I don't want to be misunderstood in. It's a feeling that prayer alone will relieve you of all responsibilities toward a person in need. Well, I prayed for him. You know, you know, every now and then uh, you find a person, they've gone to the doctor, they've gone in for help, they've done everything, and they say, they give you their, their story and how pitiful some of these do sound. You want to do something. You want to help so badly. But you draw the conclusion, well, about all I can do is pray. Well, sometimes we make it sound like that prayer isn't very much. In other words, that's about all I can do is pray. Well, first place, prayer is so important that we should lead the person to believe. Yes, but there's one thing that I can do that's more important than what doctors can do. I can have faith in God. And I'll help you believe. But there is this prevailing attitude that some people have, and that is if they pray, they dismiss themselves from further responsibility toward the need. That's what you see. That's what you saw in James 2, and that's also what you see in 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have this confidence toward God that whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. Now basically what he's talking about, he's saying, don't you understand that you cannot relieve yourself from a basic responsibility by praying and praying only, only with prayer? You can't do that. That there's more to it. And if you try to relieve yourself only by praying, then when you go take your petitions before God, what happens? Your heart's going to condemn you. God's going to, God's going to look down and say, I'm not going to answer your prayer. Why? Because when you stood in my stead to help the individual, you didn't act like I act. Because, you see, I always give if I have to give. 
And God's supply never runs out. Isn't that right? Now, let me tell you something here that, that I don't want this to be earth-shattering, and I don't want this to sound critical, because this tape will be shown probably for years. But the truth of the matter is, most Christians cannot treat their brothers like Jesus wants us to treat our enemies, according to John or Matthew 5. And see, that's, that's, that's sad. It really is. But you see, God lets it rain on the just and the unjust. People who swear, who are full of cursings and blasphemies and everything. What does he do? He continues to bless. Does he not do that? Sure. So you're no better than the publicans if you just scratch the man's back that's scratching yours. That's basically what he's saying. So a feeling that if I pray that my prayer alone will relieve me of any responsibilities. Now, the eighth thing, all right, a sharp, caustic, sarcastic tongue. There's some people that they, they, they just don't know how to be uplifting and edifying. They have practiced sarcasm so long that they, they just don't know how to be real nice. See, turn back to uh, Galatians uh, Galatians 5. Now, you could all quote this, but, you know, you just need to read it over and over and over. You know, we're converted by first receiving knowledge that changes our attitude, that changes our action. Isn't that true? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Long-suffering, gentleness. I just wanted to read those, those three. Gentle. Do you know how to be gentle with people that are hurting? Do you know how to be gentle with people that, that uh, even at sometimes are not gentle with you? You know, the Bible says a soft answer it is good evidence of you being a coward. Is that what it says? Well, that sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, whether the Bible says or not, it sounds right, doesn't it? No, the Bible says a soft answer turns the way around. <clears throat> you can almost pick a fight with anybody if you know the right words. <clears throat> you can pit yourself against people. And some people have practiced this since they were children. Because that's all they heard, and they just don't know how to be kind, and they don't know how to be nice. Uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, let's turn there. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, verse 30, <clears throat> Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from among you with all malice. Now, evidently, he wrote this because, see, the epistles, they're not written like a thesis where you just outline it real good and, and, and then it all makes a story. No, the apostle dealt with problems that the people had in that particular day when he said put away all malice and bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Obviously, the reason why he said that because they were guilty of this, see. 
Verse 32, but be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. You've got to feel what other people feel. You know, some, some husbands and some wives, they don't know how to get along because they don't know how to be kind to each other. Seriously. And it basically, it's a, it's a non-caring, selfish attitude. In other words, who cares if I hurt her feelings by being sarcastic? Who cares if I knock her down with my thumb? You want to grunt again? You want to cough again? It's okay. I mean, who cares? Who cares if he goes off to work feelings, feeling bad and carries that heavy load all day? Who cares? Not me. Now, you think your marriage is going to be a good marriage? You think it is? And vice versa. You come in and supper's not ready and, and maybe there's a reason. Before you even find out, you just blow up. Kick the stars out of the heavens. And here your wife's in the kitchen just toiling and half afraid. She doesn't know what the, the evening's going to be like. I mean, who, who cares if she gets upset and angry? Who cares if it hurts her? Sometimes, you know, the, that, that type of relationship is not only true in some marriages, it's true in just uh, our relationship with each other. I just gave him a piece of my mind. Who cares if he worries all week about what I said? Who cares if he goes home and kneels down by his bedside and cries himself to sleep? Who cares? And you see, if you get into this rut of just being sharp all the time, boy, I gotta, I'm going to have a sharp answer. I'm going I'm to, you know, nothing will please you after a while. You can't be pleased. It doesn't make any difference. If somebody followed your instructions, you'd find, still find reason to gripe or complain. Caustic. What do we mean by caustic? We mean something that burns and something that stings and something that bites. Sarcasm. What are we talking about? Something that might be the truth, but you say it in such a way that they get the point. See, some people are just like the porcupine. They got a, they got all kinds of good points, but you can't get near them. See? Put your hackles down. Let somebody get near you. The world, the human race. It's built upon loving and caring. The body of Christ is built upon loving and caring. First Corinthians, the twelfth chapter, and we're going to close. First Corinthians twelve. <clears throat> you know, Paul outlines spiritual gifts, and then First Corinthians fourteen, he says that all of these spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body. Uh, the word edification means the building up, the encouragement of it, lifting it up, making your, making somebody feel good about himself. That's what it means. So inserted in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12, look at, look at the spiritual gifts. 
And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, plural. You notice this, healings? Now, we normally think you take oil and, and, and touch it on your hand or pour it on somebody's head or whatever, lay hands upon them, and if they have a cancer, we rebuke that, God heals them. But there are many people with broken hearts. There's more than one kind of healing, see. And some people need the spiritual gift of healing. Did you know that your spouse may be hurting and you need the gift of healing because... If anybody ministers to that woman or that husband, it ought to be you. And if you bring somebody to church, that new convert, if anybody, if anybody protects that new convert like the, like the dam that would not fly off the nest but would just sit there until he's, she's dragged off the nest, it ought to be you. I'll not separate myself from that person. I got to feel for that person. I got to love that person. I got to care for that person. You need to take your wife and or your husband and look him in the eye, and it's like looking into eternity. The real you, the person that God made, cared enough to be born again put us together and we need to love each other and care for each other. Just don't hurt each other. Figure out ways to plot against each other and cut each other down. Can't do that. Take your little precious children look into their eyes and feel for them. See their need and care for them. Some of the people that come to the church, the only person that will ever love them you is a world capable of agape love but the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts that simply means spread abroad just like you take a piece of toast and you're going to take the peanut butter and you're going to spread it out in a jelly boy I, I like the way my wife does it now I just I'm always so hungry I just glob a little bit in this she will spread it right out to the crust. I mean, she makes an art out of it, just spreading it out. You know, and it's so even and so nice. Well, if I made it like that, I wouldn't even want to eat it. it looks like. <clears throat> but that's the way she does it. She'd make a sandwich. And if it's a hamburger, she's going to spread the mustard right out. I watch her do that just meticulously. Spreading it right out. She wants every bite to have mustard on it. Not me. I just gobble it down. I like hamburgers with or without mustard, so it doesn't make any difference if it's got mustard on it or not. But see, the Bible says the love of God is spread abroad. In other words, all over our life, wherever your life touches. See, in our heart. But our heart dictates to our hands and our feet and our eyes and our tongue and our five senses. See, basically, let me tell you this. You can 
not spread the good news if you're not the good news yourself. You've got to be the good news. You've got to learn how to stop knocking down people. You've got to learn how to stop being conservative with your life. You've got to learn how to care and lift up people and build up one another. The Bible teaches us about building up one another in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Praise God. I've got a couple of other symptoms that I didn't mention. Just a grouchy disposition. Some people just grouchy. You know, it's a lot of fun to be around somebody like that. Well, I got up on the wrong side of the bed today. You ever been around someone that's sour like that? I don't want anybody loving me, and I don't want to love anybody. Don't worry, not too many people will be able to. (laughs) And then, of course, I did mention talking, but uh, just just plain gossip. There are some people that really do, and that's a symptom of a selfish spirit. They like to gossip. Anybody looks better than you, you don't like them. Anybody should use more of God than you, you don't like them. You know. You just don't. There's some people that way. They feel that anybody excels in life makes them look bad. Praise God. Well, next week we're going to get into some of the mechanics of caring. Our time is gone plus. And I knew that this would be long, but we had to cover this. Let's stand to our feet at this time, if you would. <clears throat> we just need to pray. <clears throat> until we're tender. We need to pray until we feel after each other. We need to pray until there's a cohesiveness between each other. Praise God. We need to care. We need to care. Let's lift our hands right now and let's praise Him. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, God. i tell you another thing that, you, that it, w- it wouldn't hurt for you to pray about. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we said healings. The next word after that is helps. You notice that? Helps. Have you ever thought about maybe... The spiritual gift of helps would be great to have. <clears throat> Just like to help people. I'd like to sit in the background and help somebody else with their spiritual gift. <clears throat> you know it works that way? Just help somebody. Just care for somebody. Praise God. Go to your prayer partner right now if you would. Wherever your prayer partner is. Find a place to pray. If anybody wants to come to the altar... Let's come on down to the altar and pray. If we have guests here that need God, you need somebody to love you and care for you, I will assure you, in spite of all the things that I've said about myself and this congregation, 
there are people here that will love you and care for you. Seriously. Step right out and come right on down. Would you do that right now? Uh -huh.